Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. The reading, the reading this morning, excuse me, <clears throat> comes from the 24th chapter of Luke, beginning at the 28th verse. <clears throat> as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and they vanished, he vanished, from their sight. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So for three weeks now, we've been making every excuse in the book as to why Cleopas and his friend didn't recognize Jesus for an entire day walking seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Maybe it was grief, maybe it was cynicism, maybe they were just missing the point the entire time. And sure enough, wouldn't you know, all it took was food. Should know this. Graduates, I, I challenge you as you have your graduation party, whenever this happens, I challenge you to not have any food at your party. And I, and I want you to just report back how awkward everyone will be. Because when you go to a gathering, when you go to a party, where does everyone naturally gravitate to? Right, you set up as many chairs and couch and everything in your beautifully designed parlor or living room or sitting room or wherever you may be on the back patio, but everybody finds their way to the kitchen islands because everybody loves chips and salsa. Everybody loves. We can agree that carrots dipped in ranch is better than playing carrots by themselves. Right? Everybody naturally gravitates around the food. Food is the one thing we have in common, especially at graduate parties where there are people who are dance teachers and band instructors and church people and neighbors and friends, you know, all these different worlds that are colliding amongst themselves. The one thing they have in common is that they all came here not to celebrate you, but to celebrate the food you were giving them. Food brings us together. So of course it's food that reveals Jesus to these people, of course, because the Bible is obsessed with food. What is it that when you go to the ideal Garden of Eden image, it's the, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but what gives you the life and the knowledge of good and evil? Fruit. What, is the, uh, what are the Israelites doing when the angel of death sweeps through and frees them from this bondage of slavery? They're eating. What is the quintessential example as they're journeying through the, the wilderness? What's the first thing that they miss and start complaining about and want to go out to Egypt? Meat. What's the quintessential example of God's grace in the wilderness? Manna. What's the sign of God's promise 
that in the midst of idol worship for Elijah and the widow of Zarephath, what's the sign of God's promise that life will endure and God will stay uh, fervently present? It's an endless supply of flour for an endless supply of bread. And then getting into the Song of Solomon, how do the lovers describe each other as pomegranates, spices, honeycomb? And when Isaiah tells the people in exile what God's coming kingdom, how they will know that God's kingdom has come, this used to work all the time. All right, we're going to have to go to Isaiah 25 here. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines, strained clear. Heaven is, according to all accounts throughout the Bible, an endless feast, this table that just keeps on going. And if I have my way, it is a football field filled with cheese fries and milkshakes and Tex-Mex that has the, calor- that has the health benefits of kale. That is my ideal of heaven. Heaven is described all the time as this never-ending, sustaining feast of food. And it's done that way because food is what gives us life. Food is what sustains us. Food is what brings us together. And so the obsession the Bible has with food isn't about the food. It's about how, what food does for us. And as we look at the, this second to last part of the Emmaus story, um, it's very easy to say that communion is all about King's Hawaiian bread. Some of us are a little too obsessed with King's Hawaiian bread. Like it doesn't count for communion if there isn't King's Hawaiian bread and the national shortage on King's Hawaiian bread has been a travesty for some of you. The Bible is never obsessed with food or what kind of food. The Bible uses food for what food brings us. And what food brings us ought to be something that we can take into the rest of our lives to help see Jesus a little more clearly, help preach Jesus a little more fervently, and help show Jesus to all that we meet. So I want to ask us three questions um, around food. I want to ask us three questions around the, the process of not only what food we eat, but who we eat with and how we eat. And the first one centers around vulnerability. I want to know what you think of, what shifts when you add food to a conversation, right? Go hold a grad party without food in there and see how awkward it feels. Throw a whole bunch of enchiladas in people's face and see how great of a time they have. I remember um, when Lindsay and I were dating. Dating is just this awkward stage of life. If you haven't reached this stage yet or you're in this stage of life, it's just hard, right? So the first time I ever asked Lindsay out was the last day of our freshman year at TCU um, because if she said no, I didn't have to see her the next day. Um, I was very smart that way. And so um, I asked her out. And by this point, I had the dating, I had a very novice dating experience by this point. I didn't recognize that there are just certain things that you are supposed to do, like you were supposed to make yourself tall, dark, and mysterious um, and kind of play coy on your first date. So I asked her out and um, I, you know, there's been this Italian restaurant in downtown Fort Worth, Uno's Pizzeria, that I'd always wanted to try throughout the entire year. And I thought, sure, what the heck, this is a perfect opportunity to do that. And so we get there, and I remember most of every detail about this. I remember that I was so confused as to why Lindsay sat down across from me and only ordered a salad on our first date. And when I look back, I'm confused as to why I ordered something along the lines of lasagna topped with fettuccine alfredo with a side of spaghetti and meatballs, (laughs) along with garlic bread. 
So Lindsay went forth, as most people do, eating this kind of dainty, you know, controlled meal. And I looked a little bit like this, Jeff, when I was eating. Um, it's a wonder. It's a wonder that I got a second date out of this. And, and looking back, right, it's hard, to re like, it's hard to bounce back. It's hard to take that image back um, once you've put it out there. But I would argue that what is the point of dating is to become vulnerable with each other. And there ain't nothing more vulnerable than that. There's research done out of Oxford University that talks about when communities eat together, they establish an unspoken vulnerability. And largely, it's because there is no way to look attractive while you are eating. No matter how fancy the food, no matter how nice the decor, once you go like this, there is nothing attractive about you. And so if everybody who is sitting around the table is looking unattractive together, all of a sudden there's this vulnerability that happens. You open yourself up. You uh, have shared experiences. They, they realize that the, the more people ate together, over and above any other experience, the more people ate together, the more vulnerable they became with each other. And vulnerability is at the core of how we receive the peace of Jesus and how we express the peace of Jesus. There is an old expression that you can't give with a closed fist. Preachers like to use it when we're talking about offering, and we already did offering, but you're always told to give more if your fist becomes open during the sermon. But the, the expression is you can't give with an open fist, or you can't receive if you've got a closed hand. Meaning that the more that you give, the more that you receive. The more you're open with others, the more you'll receive from others. And when we eat together and we put ourselves in somewhat embarrassing situations of stains on our shirt, or, you know, when you move from the salad to all of a sudden I learn when my date can order a half-pound hamburger and polish it off. Right? There are things that open ourselves up when we eat together. And we see this played out, especially in Luke 19 is, is a good example of this. Luke 19 is when Jesus is walking through the town and Zacchaeus, who has defrauded and cheated all, all the residents through his tax collecting, is climbing up in a tree so that he he can get a glimpse over the crowd of Jesus who is so intrigued by. And at this point, if we were to go with kind of the stereotype of, of religion or the stereotype of how we should re relate to someone like Zacchaeus, we might lecture Zacchaeus while he's in there. We're going to teach him his lesson while he's up, embarrassed in front of everybody. Or maybe we call Zacchaeus down because we're holier than him and we take a nice stroll together, which can be a little disarming, but we take a stroll together keeping our distance because, after all, the great religious teachers don't want to be seen walking on the same side of the road as the Samaritans or the tax collectors. But Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and says, come on down. I'm not going to take a walk with you today. I'm not going to lecture you today. We're not going to church together today. I'm eating at your house today. Because when you go eat with somebody, you're instantly on the same level as they are. And if we look at how Jesus operates, the mind of Christ in Philippians 2, it talks about the humbling of God humbling into a human form to be amongst us and walk amongst us to teach us vulnerability. Vulnerability so much that the God of all the universe ends up being crucified because he has made himself so vulnerable, has opened himself up so much to the human experience, to sharing that with us so that he might give it to us, so that we might receive it. Vulnerability is something that comes when we sit there and we stuff our faces together. And we sit at the same table 
and we share the same meal, and we find something in common. So that's the second question around trust. What shifts when you find something in common? What changes when you find something in common? One of the most powerful parts of the Holy Week story, I think, comes in Monday Thursday. Um, Monday Thursday being the really commemoration, the celebration of the Last Supper and the remembrance of Jesus' presence always being with us. Um, but, it, but, it play, but it goes into the tension in that meal is we find out that in, in Matthew 26 that Jesus is sitting right next to Judas. Jesus says, the one who dips his hand into the same bowl as mine will be the one that betrays me. They were washing their hands in the same bowl, which implies also about the Seder meal that they're eating off of the same plate. And it's this interesting thing that earlier in Matthew 26 is, you know, we give Judas a lot of credit, and Judas probably had lots of different conflicting things going on. We should give Judas some grace because we're grace-based. But Matthew 26 has, Jesus, or has Judas going to the temple and saying, how much would you give me to sell out Jesus? I don't know what the motivations are, but he is actively pursuing this before he washes his hands in the same bowl and eats the same food as Jesus. And what happens afterward? He's an absolute wreck. He can't live with what he's done because he sat and shared something in common with the person that he betrayed. There's a researcher out of the University of Chicago named Dr. Ayelet Fishback, and um, she says that we unconsciously learn to trust people when we eat the same food as them. So she did research on people who would um, go to a restaurant or eat at the table and they would have different things. So um, if you, know, you, go to, you go to the restaurant and you order the prime rib and your kid orders a grilled cheese, um, there's a difference between those two meals. Or if you go to an Italian restaurant and you order something that's gonna stain every piece of clothing that you have and your date orders a salad, there's a barrier that happens between there. But there's something that happens when you sit down to a, the same food. And it's a little bit like, if you remember back in medieval times, the king or the queen would have taste testers, right? That they would have to taste everything to make sure that it was poisonous or so, to so make sure that they weren't eating the, the dangerous food or something. There's some inherent trust about eating the same food as somebody else because it puts you in the same vulnerable place of saying that we are one and the same. I am constantly amazed, outside of the realm of food, of how um, issues of race or sexuality or gender or politics somehow disappear when you go to an Elton John concert together. We were gifted tickets to go to the Elton John concert that was in, in Dallas. And we went, we had a fantastic time. We looked around. As you can imagine, an Elton John concert, there is a lot of flamboyance and elaborate costumes. And we sat there and we enjoyed. And then, you know, I got on social media later and I was scrolling through and I was looking at the people who had also enjoyed the Elton John concert, including people who had very vehemently disagreed with each other about issues of race, class, sexuality, or gender, or all sorts of different things. They all somehow loved Elton John. Right, when you go to a graduation party, everybody loves chips and salsa. There's something about the commonality of our taste buds that transcends these divisions that we put in each other's way. It's something that allows us to, even people who uh, don't agree on the same theological issues or the way of being in the world, they still love spaghetti. And when we find something in common, 
when we find just even the slightest nuance of empathy, all of a sudden, something in our subconscious, we can't hate that person as much anymore. Even further than that, there was a researcher out of Belmont University who found that not only does eating the same food brings trust, but the way you share that food brings intimacy. And if we're talking about our relationship with Christ, intimacy is usually a word that we don't like to use, but intimacy is a very valuable word and a very needed word for how um, grafted and how bonded we are to the love that Jesus has for us. So this researcher, um, if the other one found that, that people who sit down to a shared meal, like a family meal, um, gain trust with each other, he looked at dating couples. And he had people score dating couples on how closely they seemed. And, and of course, the people who, you know, if one person ordered a half-pound hamburger and the other person ordered like two tomatoes on a plate, um, there, was, there was this barrier that the observer saw in there. And then as they both shared, um, they both shared the, the um, they both had the same meal. They both had the pork tenderloin, for example. There was some kind of closeness that observers found between the two. But it got even, even more intimate when the people actually ordered the same dish and shared it. I don't know how many of y'all are Friends fans, um, the show Friends, um, but there's a character on there named Joey Tribbiani, and uh, my favorite part of Joey Tribbiani is the phrase, Joey doesn't share food. Um, he has this aversion to sharing a plate because these, you know, these girls would reach over and take his fries without asking. Um, and guys, I don't know if that's happened to you very often in your life, but I used to hate this. I hated it, and it was like assumed that it was assumed that, like, my food is your food. And I kept looking at Lindsay and was like, just order the fries if you want the fries. But the more we grew together, the more that we, you know, shared pints of ice cream together, the more that we were able to um, become a couple that what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours, all of a sudden, now I don't mind if she takes the fries off. So the researchers found that if you actually share not just the same type of food, but the share same plate of food, it says something about how intimate you are. Now here's the thing for the germophobes in the room. They found that if you are willing to share food that the other person has already touched, right? if you're willing to sit in a movie theater and you're willing to put your grubby hands in the same hands as the same popcorn bucket as the person you're there with, if you're willing to share the same nachos that somebody is touching the other chips on, if you're willing to share the same cheese fries as, you know, as the other person, then they score those people as dramatically more intimate. Right? Because if you think back to the pictures we saw of separate water fountains for black or white people, when you think back of the powerful pictures of the 70s where there is a black hand holding a white hand or Mr. Rogers sitting in the same pool as um, the male person on that episode. There's something powerful about being able to touch and share the same space. And as the two men come to Emmaus and they share the same common love, Jesus breaks the same bread that he's going to eat, that they're going to eat. It's why Jesus uses the same bread in when he says, this is my body. It's why we have one common loaf. When all things are done in the ideal system of communion, it's we have one piece of bread that we break and we hand out because when we eat the same food, when we even eat the food that somebody else has touched, it helps us to break down barriers and walls because if we eat the nacho that somebody else has grazed upon and we live and we're okay, 
well, maybe that person isn't so bad after all. And what does Jesus lead us to constantly? Jesus prays for us to be one. Jesus prays for unity. Jesus prays for togetherness. Jesus prays for unity. Jesus constantly is creating situations where 5,000 people are fed out of the same five loaves and two fishes so that we can find things in common, so that we are not divided as a people, but that we are loving as a people. And Jesus says in the Gospel of John, how will they know you are my disciples? By your love. What research has found is that eating together is one of the greatest ways of learning to love one another because of the commonality it brings. Now, the third question has to do with generosity, and it is what shifts when we are willing to share? When you are willing to dip your hand into the same bucket of popcorn instead of ordering your own bucket of popcorn, even more than that, if you're willing to pay for the popcorn for somebody else, what shifts when we're willing to share? If we've shifted by adding food to the conversation, if that food has helped us to trust, what's willing, what, what shifts when we're actually willing to share? Because I would make the argument that all of this Emmaus story has been building up and we see that Jesus is revealed in the breaking of the bread, but that moment doesn't happen unless Cleopas and his friend don't beg Jesus to stay overnight. Unless they don't go to Jesus and say, we would love for you to share our lodging, our bedding, our food. Everything we have is yours. And that speaks a whole volume to, we'll catch up with you tomorrow. There's another room you can go find by yourself. There's no room in the inn tonight. When we, are open up, when we open ourselves up willingly to share, what shifts? Well, I go back to the saying, you can't receive with an open hand, or with a closed fist. When we're willing to share, when we're willing to give, when we're willing to bless somebody else, our hands are open to receive that blessing as well. Every research, the, it, 2017 was a huge fascination with food science. And in 2017, there were over a dozen studies, and every single one of them talks about the more willing you are to share food with somebody else, the more willing you are to invite them to your table, the more willing you are to cook for somebody, the more willing you are to pay for the next person in line or pay for the meal, the more joy you feel in your life because you have made yourself vulnerable. You have expressed trust in somebody. And what makes us the most miserable in this life, what brings us the, the least sense of peace is fear is cynicism, distrust. All of these things that we, think, that we think are survival techniques, they actually bring us down and they make us miserable. When really, the more open we are, the more generous we are, the more vulnerable we are, the more trusting we are, that is what brings us a greater sense of peace and a greater sense of purpose. And I think about the, the just numerous times in Scripture where Jesus highlights the generous person. There's a story where, um, story in Luke where Jesus is eating with Pharisees, which let's just stop and take a moment and recognize that the same people who are trying to kill Jesus, Jesus chooses to eat with. That ought to say something about the power of Jesus' love through food. But Jesus is eating with the Pharisees and this woman comes rushing in and starts just anointing his hair with this you know, expensive oil and just taking care of him and, and just showering praise upon him. And the Pharisee has the closed, cynical response of, well, if you were any kind of teacher whatsoever, you would know what kind of woman is touching your head right now, and you would cast her off. And instead, Jesus comes back and says, 
doesn't she have so much to celebrate? Let's honor her gift in this moment. It's the same as when, when Mary, you know, anoints Jesus' feet with oil and washes it with her hair, and Judas comes in and says, that money could have been given to the poor, and Jesus says, yeah, but look how she gave so that she can receive. When the Pharisee goes and gives his offering to the church and is celebrating how great and how rich he is and how generous he can be in the streets and everybody should look at him as this wonderful figure who gives so much. And Jesus says, yeah, but look at that widow over there who dropped two coins in because it's all that she has. What's celebrated in Scripture is not the food we eat or the food that we have. It's how we eat it and who we eat it with. Jesus is revealed to the two men in the Emmaus story because they are willing to share what they have. They are making themselves vulnerable and trusting this person. And when we do those things, we can receive the blessing from other people. We can receive the blessing from God because we have made ourselves open to that blessing. We can find peace in the connection and peace that we have with each other. And perhaps food's a good avenue for that. This whole sermon series is designed to kind of break through the walls of cynicism, break through the walls of grief, and break through the walls of just missing the point to see Jesus amongst us. And next week we're going to talk about that even if you're somebody who just doesn't find your faith is where you want it to be right now, that's okay because Jesus is already there. But today I want to ask you to take an intentional step in that faith formation or that intentional step toward finding peace and purpose in your life. I'm going to invite you to um, do a couple crazy things. Um, the first of those, in, in announcements I'll talk about, Pastor Adam is going to help organize um, some uh, lunch, dinner, snack time groups, whatever meal you want to eat. All right, if you want to have high tea with a queen, great. But he's going to organize for people who just want to help break down some barriers, who want to meet people, who want to form some bonds of trust with each other, We'd love for you to sign up. There's going to be an opportunity to sign up. There's, you know, for all of those things, you'll see it in the email. Um, we'd love for you to make that a priority to meet other people because when we grow with each other, we tend to grow with God, and that's the way it's designed. But here's the challenge for today. If you don't have a graduation party to go to today, I want you to bravely invite somebody that you don't know very well out to brunch or lunch today. I don't mean I want you to invite the person sitting next to you out to brunch or lunch today because you're sitting next to them because you already love them. I want you after Sunday school to run into somebody in the hall and invite that person out to lunch. I want you after the service is over to look across the room and be like, you know what, that person's 40 years younger than me. There we go. I want you to take that step of being willing to put yourself in an uncomfortable space because I wonder how many times we have missed Jesus because we've been so cynical or so busy or so protected. And maybe just a really good loaf of bread will help break down that barrier. Let's pray. Gracious God, in all the times that we could be fearful about transitions in life, about people that aren't like us, all the times when we could uh, look inward and close ourselves off. 
Help us to break bread. Help us to realize your body broken. Help your body broken to consume us and fill us and give us sustenance and nurturing to break down the barriers that exist between us through maybe a good meal or the vulnerability that we need to show to each other. Because God, we know that in the breaking of the bread where two or more are gathered, we will find you there. And where you are, there is freedom. Where you are, there is peace. Where you are, there is purpose. And where you are, there is love. And so God, may our next meal be an extraordinary one. As we learn to love like you did. As we learn to live like you did. As we learn to share all that you have with us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand in. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.